I invite you to turn your Bibles this afternoon to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, if you're using our Adoration Bibles, Jonah 3, we found on page 983. You'll recall from last time that after Jonah had been swallowed up by the great fish, he did the only thing he could do. He did, he did the only thing that we can do when we find ourselves under God's chastening hand. Jonah turned. He turned to the Lord in prayer. In the midst of his distress, Jonah cried out for deliverance, and you'll remember that God heard him. The Lord heard Jonah's prayer, and he commanded the great fish to spit him out on the shore. And that's where we pick up the story this afternoon at Jonah chapter 3 at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into that city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God, that everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, thus far in the story of Jonah, we've seen the Lord do some rather marvelous and spectacular things, haven't we? We've seen God hurl a, a great wind upon the sea, and we've seen him command a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and we've seen him command the same fish to spit him out again. But what God does here in Jonah chapter 3 is even more spectacular. It's even greater than everything he's done thus far. Because here in Jonah chapter 3, God causes his word to, to penetrate, to to break through the proud hearts and minds of, of the great city of Nineveh. And he brings them to repentance. Four times in the story of Jonah, Nineveh is referred to as the great city. In chapter 1, verse 2, we read, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Here in verse 2, we read something similar. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. In verse 3, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. We see the same thing in chapter 4, verse 11. 
where God says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are 120,000 persons who do not know their left hand from their right? Yes, Nineveh was a great city, an exceedingly great city. Nineveh, you could say, was, was on top of the world. They, they didn't need God, and they certainly didn't need the Word of God. Or at least they thought. The city of Nineveh, you see, was a proud city. Their people were, were puffed up and heart of heart. They were on top of the world, and they knew it. And so they were worthy of destruction and damnation. But here in Jonah chapter 3, we learn that the greatest city in all the world is no match. The greatest city in all the world is is no match for the power of God's Word and and the wonder of His grace. And here at the very start of Jonah chapter 3, we learn that that Jonah wasn't either. Jonah also was was no match for the power of God's Word. Jonah was, was no match for the power of His grace. Because although Jonah had tried his best to to run away from God and to run away from the Word of God and to keep the Word all to himself, the Lord did not let his prophet off the hook. But so determined was the Lord to to bring his Word to Nineveh that that he rescued the runaway prophet not only from the depths of the seas but also from his own disobedience. And now the Lord has, has recommissioned Jonah to to carry out his prophetic task again. And that's where our passage begins, with Jonah's recommissioning. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so from the very outset of our passage, we're shown yet again how, how patient the Lord has been with Jonah. For the Lord has not only been gracious to rescue Jonah, but he has also been gracious to recommission Jonah to gospel service. In congregation, isn't this what God often does with his people? Isn't this what Jesus did with Peter, even after Peter had denied him not once but three times? The Lord Jesus came to him, and he not only forgave him, but he also restored him, and he recommissioned him, saying, feed my sheep. This is really what God does for us every Lord's Day. Every Lord's Day, we we come to Him at the start of a a new week, acknowledging the fact that in the last week we have sinned, we have have fallen short, we have done those things that, that God has said you ought not to do, and we've left undone the things that He said we ought to do. But every Lord's Day, Christ comes to us again in the assurance of pardon, and He comes to us in in the preaching of the gospel, and He recommissions us. He recommits our way unto Him. And at the, at the close of the worship service, what does He do? He, he sends us on our way into another week with, with the assurance of His blessing. As we go forth in His service, He recommissions us. Even when we have run away from God, God has not run away from us. But as the canons of Dort teach us in Article 6 of the Fifth Head of Doctrine, God, who is rich in mercy according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not take his Holy Spirit from his own completely, even when they fall grievously. That was true for Jonah, and that's true for us as well, isn't it? As we confess in Article 7, but by his word and spirit, he certainly and effectively renews us to repentance 
so that through faith we come again to adore His mercies and from then on more eagerly to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And people of God, this is who our God is. He is the God of second chances. He is the God of of fresh starts and new beginnings. He doesn't just rescue us, but He recommissions us and He causes us to be serviceable for the furtherance of His kingdom. Isn't that we heard this morning that God's word comes even to those who are slaves and bondservants and says, not only have I redeemed you, but I'm pleased to now use you for the furtherance of my kingdom. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And boys and girls, what does Jonah do this time? This time, Jonah listens to the voice of the Lord. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Isn't that amazing that that before Jonah was determined to to run away from God, to, to run away from the word of God, but now Jonah's living according to the word of God. Only the grace of God could make such a thing happen. And so Jonah journeys into the city and he proclaims the message that God had entrusted to him. And and what a startling message it must have been. Yet 40 days and and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the the theme of his sermon. To be sure, Jonah must have elaborated on that theme and, and spoken about God and spoken about repentance. But if you were to boil his sermon down to one sentence, it was this, yet 40 days and and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Can you imagine if if I came to you on Sunday and opened a sermon like that, thus says the Lord, yet 40 days and, and Canada shall be overthrown? What a shocking, dare I say, almost unbelievable message that would be. But here's Jonah, an unknown foreigner, pronouncing a word of doom pronouncing that in 40 days' time, Nineveh is going to be overthrown or, or turned upside down. In other words, Jonah is saying, judgment day is coming. The people of Nineveh are going to have to give an answer for all the evil deeds they have done. And so perhaps we wonder, well, well wait a minute. If, if God's desire is to save Nineveh, then then where's the note of grace in Jonah's message? As I said earlier on, the message entrusted to the prophets was always a a twofold message, the message of, of grace and repentance. But Jonah's sermon at first glance appears to be a word of judgment in 40 days' time. God is going to, to overthrow the city of Nineveh. No apparent promise, just a threat. No warm summons. Just a sharp warning, it would seem. So where's the grace? Where's the grace? The grace in Jonah's sermon is perhaps easy to miss, but when you really think about it, Jonah's message is full of grace, isn't it? Do you see where the grace in Jonah's sermon is, boys and girls? Listen again to the theme of Jonah's sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Boys and girls, where's the grace in that message? Well, the grace of the message is found in the first three words, yet 40 days, yet 40 days. 
that's grace. Because when God tells Jonah to say, yet 40 days, what God is saying to Nineveh is this, there's still time. There's still time to to turn it all around. There's still time to, to turn it all around before I turn your world upside down. You've got 40 days to turn unto me. You've got 40 days to humble yourselves before me in repentance and faith. God, we know, would have been perfectly just to have simply wiped out the city without so much as a single word of warning. But instead, he says, yet 40 days. Yet 40 days. Congregation, God speaks to us in the same way. See, Jonah's message is not just for the world, not just for, for wicked Nineveh, but because the message is contained in the Old Testament Bible, we recognize that, that Jonah's message, though directed at Nineveh, is also to be heard by the broader people of Israel. That's why it's going to be contained in the Old Testament Bible. And if Judah's message is not only for wayward, is also for wayward Israel, then we know that his message is also for us, the New Testament Israel. No one like Jonah, I, of course, don't know the day or the hour of Christ's return. I don't know if it's going to be 40 days or 40 years or 40 decades from now. But what I do know is this. It's a lot sooner than the world thinks. It's a lot sooner than the world thinks. Behold, says Jesus in Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And so this is why Paul presses his readers so strongly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, Working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. And the implication in Paul's words is that, yes, today is the day of salvation, but tomorrow might not be. Today is the day of of grace and mercy. Today is the day of, of divine patience, of divine forbearance. But tomorrow might be a day of judgment. Tomorrow might be the day on which the Lord turns the world upside down one last time. To be sure, as the Apostle Peter says, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of His coming? That as Peter says, they forget the fact that the very same world which in the days of Noah was, was destroyed by a flood, this very same world is being stored up for fire. They forget that judgment is coming. And no, we don't know when, but Jesus says it's coming soon. And so the Apostle Peter goes on to exhort us not to mistake, not to confuse God's present patience for God somehow turning a blind eye to the sins of the world. Peter says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
This is really what Jonah is pressing the Ninevites with here in verse 4, and he says, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Judgment is coming. God has not turned a blind eye, but there's still time. There's still time to repent. And implied in the message is that if they repent, God may just turn from His fierce anger towards them. You see, the call, even as the call to repent points to the righteousness of God, the call to repent points out the reality that we are an unholy people who have sinned against a holy God. And even as the call to repent does, as the call to repent shines the light on God's righteousness, that call, we understand, is, is exceedingly merciful. The call to repent is merciful because it signals the desire of God to delay His wrath. And we come to see that more fully in the New Testament, don't we? The call to repent signals God's gracious willingness to to even redirect His wrath and, and to place it upon another, namely the Lord Jesus. God didn't have to send a prophet to Nineveh at all. He would have been perfectly just to simply wipe out the city But in His grace and mercy, God warns the city through His recommissioned prophet, who, as you recall from last time, was Himself a sign of God's grace and mercy to sinners. Jonah himself was was a sign to Nineveh of God's willingness to, to give them a second chance. And how does Nineveh respond? Verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And notice what what verse 5 doesn't say. Verse 5 doesn't say that they believed Jonah. But verse 5 says they believed God. Because in in the preaching of Jonah, they, they heard God Himself. This, you see, is is what preaching really is, isn't it? That as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, and we also thank God continually for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And the people of Nineveh believed God. This, brothers and sisters, is the power of of the Word of God. The Word of God has the power to, to bring a people who are dead in their sins and trespasses back to life. When, when you picture the city of Nineveh, which from the perspective of the world was a great city, a mighty city, we recognize that from God's city, from God's perspective, the city of Nineveh was, was like that valley of dry bones from Ezekiel's vision. Lifeless. Because it wasn't seeking its life and vitality in God. But here we discover that the Word of God has the power to bring that which is dead and lifeless back to life. And because it's coming to Nineveh, the exceedingly great and wicked city, we're we're reminded that no one, no matter how deep in sin and misery he may be, is, is beyond the reach of God's power to save through His Word. Because the Word of God has the power to 
to break through the hardest heart. The Word of God has the power to to reawaken that most desensitized conscience on earth. The Word of God has the power, parents, to make your most stubborn child into your most obedient child. The Word of God has the power to to make the proudest man on earth the humblest man on earth. And, And that's what we see happening here, isn't it? Because what happens, the word of, this word of God comes not just to the city of Nineveh, but in verse 6 we learn that the word reached the king of Nineveh. The word of God reached the king. And, and boys and girls, what did this mighty king of Nineveh do? Just picture it in your minds. He arose from his throne and removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. Can you imagine that? This was one of the most powerful men in the world. The, the surrounding nations feared this man because, because he was a cruel king of a cruel kingdom, a kingdom that was, that was most well known for its barbaric brutality. That's what he was known for, the, the mighty king of Assyria. And now here he is, covered in sackcloth and sitting in ashes. And the only thing that, that happened in between, that that happened between him sitting on his royal throne and and sitting in ashes, the thing that happened between wearing his his royal robe and wearing sackcloth, the thing that happened in between was this, that he heard the word of God. He heard the word of God. The word of the Lord reached his ears. And by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, the king took the gracious warning to heart. Verse 7, and he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that he has in his hands. And notice how it's the very things that Nineveh was most known for that the king calls them to repent for. The Ninevites are called by the king to, to turn from their pride by humbling themselves before the Lord, which, which they do by covering themselves in sackcloth and by crying out to him. And the Ninevites, who are so well known for their evil and for their violence, are called to, to turn away from those things in repentance as they turn toward the Lord God, the God of Israel. And so we see that their repentance is not only marked by a change of disposition, but it's marked also by by a change in their behavior. And this is what the Word of God did. The people of Nineveh responded to the message in heartfelt belief, and they gave up their evil ways. The Word of God ignited mighty prayer and produced repentance in a people who had never before had an an ounce of interest in the God of Israel. The word of the Lord came to them as they were, but it did not leave them as they were. And it's important that we take note of that. You see, congregation, as, as one theologian puts it, it's not the case that God simply loves us as we are. To be sure, the the gospel word comes to us as we are. The gospel word comes to us where we are. In this moment, the gospel comes to us where we are right now. But the gospel doesn't leave us where we are. And we don't remain the way we are. 
but it transforms us. It changes us from the inside out. It causes us to become a, a new creation and dwelt by the Spirit. It, it turns us around. It, in repentance, it turns us around, that 180 turn. So that we're not walking that way, we're walking that way, according to the statutes of God. And that's what happened here in Nineveh. The call to repent came to the great city, the mighty city of Nineveh. And the call to repent transformed the city. And notice how the king's decree is framed in such a way that it takes into account also the, the sovereignty and freedom of God to decide what their final outcome should be. The saying, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. In other words, the king recognizes that repentance in and of itself won't save the city. Yes, yes, repentance is required, but, but it's not transactional. Repentance in and of itself can't save the city. Only God can save the city. And so the king of Nineveh appeals to God's goodness. He, he appeals to God's grace and mercy. And how does God respond? Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented over the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. In other words, the Lord had compassion on them, and he, and he spared them from the judgment that was to come. You see, at the end of the day, congregation, the city of Nineveh was overthrown. It was turned upside down after all, just not by the wrath of God, but by the grace of God. And, and that's the way it always is. There's no getting around it. As Peter puts it in the second chapter of his first epistle, the word of the cross, the word of Christ, it, it comes to everyone. Peter says that this word can, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ comes to us in, in the form of a stone. And, and when a man comes upon that stone, he does one of two things. He either builds his life upon that stone or, or he stumbles over that stone. But either way, his life is never the same. Either he, he builds his life upon that stone unto eternal life, or he, or he stumbles over unto eternal death. Behold, says God in 1 Peter 2, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so the message of our text this afternoon is that if you will turn to God in repentance and faith, if you will turn from your evil ways, he assures us that he will have compassion on us and give us his pardon as the prophet Joel says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. This, beloved, is who our God is. This is what he is like. He's the God who does not delight in the death of the wicked. 
He's the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You see, congregation, it's not the case that God simply turned a blind eye to Nineveh's sin on account of the fact that they repented. As, as Lord's Day 4 reminds us, God doesn't work that way. His justice has to be satisfied. And so it's not as though God simply forgot about His judgment, but rather He postponed it. He, he delayed the sentence of wrath all the way until that fateful hour when the Lord Jesus was nailed to the cross. And then what did God do? Then God poured out all that wrath upon the Son of God. And Christ bore the judgment of God against Nineveh's sin and against our sin, which is why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so while today is still a day of grace, he comes to us in his word and he calls us to repent of our sins in order that he might have compassion on us. The call to repentance, we must understand, is not just for the world. It certainly is for the world. The world desperately needs to hear this message to, to repent and to believe. But the call to repent is also directed at the church. It's directed at, at you and me. That's the point that Jesus was making in Matthew chapter 12. If, if you turn to Matthew chapter 12, verse 3, you'll see that when Jesus spoke about the sign of Jonah, he was speaking to Israel. He was saying that that message of Jonah wasn't just about Nineveh, but it was about Israel. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he says in verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. As this call to repent was being proclaimed in Nineveh and recorded in the scriptures, Israel Israel too, wayward Israel, idolatrous Israel, they were also to, to take this word to heart. To the people of Israel, to the members of the church, Jesus says, repent. That's how he began his earthly ministry, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The call to repent, to turn, is directed at every one of us. Although the word of God comes to us as we are, although it meets us where we are, we cannot remain as we are. And so this word summons us to take this word to heart, to repent. He who testifies to all these things says, surely I am coming soon, sooner than we think. And the righteous can cry out, even so, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace that not only rescues us, but also recommissions us. Father, we thank you that the word of Christ has come to us and that it has assured us 
that you are full of grace and mercy, that you're the God who relents over disaster. Father, we pray that this word would not return to you void, but that wherever repentance is needed, that repentance would be granted from above. Father, we pray that we would not deflect the application of Jonah 3 to someone else, that we would all examine our own hearts. We would all take stock of our own lives and ask ourselves, where do I need to repent? And Father, we pray that in asking that question, we would find the grace of your Spirit, not only to renounce the sinful way of life, but to live in newness of life, to walk according to your commands. Father, we pray that while today is a day of grace, many would come and repent of their sins and come to know the Lord Jesus. For we know, Lord, that His coming is soon. Father, we pray that He would come quickly, that He would put an end finally to all our sin and misery and shame, that we might be with Him, to rule with Him over all creation for all eternity. This we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.